Thanks for joining us here on the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Kendall Kearns, and I'm the student worship leader here at Rolling Hills. This week, we're diving into the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Mark as our sermon series, Masterclass, continues. Jesus calls us to follow his example of service to others. Jesus tells James and John that even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. If our God lives a life in service to others, so should we. Now let's hear today's teaching about how we can live out this call to serve. Good morning, good morning, Rolling Hills Church family. It's so good to be together today. Welcome everybody here at our Franklin campus. Welcome to everybody who's joining us online campus. So glad you're joining in today. What a great morning of worship. And welcome back to our series. Man, we are in this incredible series called Masterclass. And so we're taking a masterclass in the Gospel of Mark throughout this whole summer. And so we're 10 weeks. Today is week number 10. And we're walking through chapter by chapter, just, man, seeing God's Word come to life and growing deeper as disciples of Christ, it is so rich and so good. And today we come in Mark 10 to kind of a pivotal point, right? And so we saw already in Mark 1 through 6, Jesus comes onto the scene and Jesus makes it really clear. Hey, I'm the Messiah, right? He's saying to all the Jewish people, like, here I am, the one you were waiting for in the Old Testament, all the scriptures revealed in me, here I am. And he does these incredible miracles, right? His teaching is Unbelievable teaches as one who has authority and the wisdom and crowds are flocking to Jesus. They're flocking to him. Well, then in chapter 7, he kind of does something that surprises people. He goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, right? The eastern side to the Gentiles. He goes over to the Greeks and the Romans. Now, Gentiles, somebody who's not Jewish. And, and so he goes over there and he says, here I am, right? I am the son of God. I am the Messiah here. And the Jews are like, whoa, I thought it was just us. And Jesus goes, no, I'm doing something for the entire world here, right? I want everybody to see it. And so he comes over in the Decapolis. He's preaching. He's healing. All these miracles are happening. And thousands of thousands of people are flocking to Jesus. And then we saw at the Mark chapter 8, verse 26, it's kind of a transition. He goes from the crowds to really pouring into his disciples. And he's got these 12 disciples, but there's actually more because there's a lot of women who are following Jesus at this point, a lot of other people around. But he's preparing his disciples. Man, he is teaching and pouring into them and preparing them for after his death, burial, his resurrection. You're going to be the leaders, right, for the kingdom. You're going to lead the, the early church. And so he's teaching them. We saw that last week in Mark 9. And now we come to Mark 10. And Mark 10, man, he steps it up. I mean, he's just saying, hey, guys, you're not of this world. You are of the kingdom of God. Your life should look different than the world. And this calling, because next week, Mark 11, Jesus comes into Jerusalem. All right? And so he comes into Jerusalem in Mark 11. And in Mark 11 through 16, through the end of Mark, we're looking at like one week. All right? I mean, this is Holy Week, Passion Week. We're going to go there with Jesus 
But all that's there. And so this is kind of the last time he has with his disciples. This is the time he's pouring into them. And it is so relevant for us today as disciples. I mean, God's word is so relevant, right? I mean, God's word never fails. It never fades. And, and, and to speak to us as disciples today in the world in which we live, and God says, here's how you're called to be my disciple. So if you have a Bible with you, invite you up with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. If you need a Bible, there's some Bibles in the back. Love for you to grab one. If you're online, you can go to the Rolling Hills app. And we'll have the scripture for you there. But I am so glad you're here today. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four Gospels, right? And, and all four of these Gospels talk about Jesus. And we've said before, it's like a movie with different camera angles, right? You get different insights in each one of the Gospels. And, and Matthew was written to the Jewish audience. That's why there's a lot of Old Testament scripture referenced there. And Jesus came to fulfill the law. Mark is written to the Romans, you know, the Romans, the leadership. And so a lot of action. And we've been seeing that, right? A lot of ands, a lot of immediately's. This happened, you know, these kind of things. And, and then we see that Luke, this physician, he writes to the Greeks, very precise in all of his details, historically accuracy. It's just unbelievable. And then John is for everybody, right? John's for everybody. And, and so Mark, now we get to Mark 10 and Jesus' time is coming. His time is coming. Remember he told, you know, the Jewish when he would do the miracles over there, he would say, hey, don't tell anybody. Hold on, don't, don't say anything because my time has not yet come, right? And they were trying to make him king. They were trying to lead, wanted Jesus to lead this revolt, this rebellion against the Romans and overthrow them. And he's going, hold on, hold on. I'm doing something deeper. I'm doing something bigger, right? And to the Gentiles, he's like, go tell everybody. Go tell everybody who does these miracles. Why? Because when the early church comes on board, right, the church spreads throughout. Now over two billion people today professing Jesus. And so we see it right here, Mark chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him. As was his custom, he taught them. So now he's making his way toward Jerusalem. So he's heading up there. And some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Okay, a couple of things I want you to see. The Pharisees, man, they're stepping it up now, right? These are the religious leaders. They're getting combative with Jesus. You're going to see that unfold in the coming weeks, right? But it's coming to a head. And if you notice, it says that they tested, tested that word right there. So they're putting Jesus on the spot. Now, why is this such a volatile question? Well, we know, right, even in our day of time. But, but back then, you may remember, right, when John the Baptist called out Herod Antipas for divorcing his wife, and then marrying his brother's sister wife, right? He's like, that's weird, right? We're not going to, what's going on here, you know? And it was like a half-sister, and they were married. And then he's like, so that's the whole thing. And John the Baptist called him out. And Herodias takes John the Baptist, and he ends up being beheaded. And so the Pharisees think, hey, we got Jesus. We got Jesus right here, right? We're going to put him in a tough spot. But Jesus is, you know, he's God, right? So he's just like, hey, guys, here's the thing. What did Moses command you? He replied. So the religious leaders go back. He's like, go back to the Old Testament. Go back and think about what Moses said. And in Deuteronomy 24, Moses said this. And they said, well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And so in Deuteronomy 24, you know, people were just getting divorced like all the time. And, and like women had no rights. I mean, back in that day, right, women had no rights. So if you didn't have a husband, you didn't have a father, you didn't have a, you know, a brother, you didn't have a son, somebody to take care of you, women were vulnerable. 
And, and so they were just like leading women on the side and Moses would go, no, no, no. And so Moses said, hey, here's this certificate of divorce. You, you gotta give that, there's something. He was trying to protect women then. Well, Jesus takes it to a whole different level. Jesus said, well, the reason he said this is because your hearts were hard. That's why Moses wrote you this law. That wasn't God's intention, right? Look at this. Jesus replied, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now this was radical because the Pharisees had gotten to the point where they had this teacher out there who was going, you know what, if your wife burns your meal, you can divorce her. Just give her this certificate and send her on her way. And then they had no rights. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. That's not it at all. Jesus came to protect women. Jesus came for all people. Jesus said, hey, you made a commitment, right? That's what you should be in that for. Well, when they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. And he answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. So Jesus is saying the only biblical grounds, right? And we know that through scripture, the only biblical grounds for divorce was adultery back then. And still, right? That's you, God's saying, I don't want you to get divorced. Now, divorce happens, right? And by God's grace, there's redemption by God's mercy. And I know people who've thrived, right? Being married a second time or a third time. But, but God's intention was that when you get married, right, you stay married. Right? That you have a biblical marriage. In fact, that marriage should radiate to the world the way Christ loves the church. So Jesus affirms marriage here, the sanctity of marriage, but he also is protecting women. He goes, guys, we're gonna protect women. Jesus did more for women's rights than any person in history. <laughs> I mean, Jesus cared about women. Well, notice this, look at this, verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he became indignant. So here's Jesus, he's teaching, and these people are bringing their kids, and the disciples are like, no, no, no. Jesus is really busy, okay? He can't be around kids. I mean, like, come on. I mean, what we're doing, this is really deep, right? I mean, like, yeah, come on, leave your kids at home, no kids. And Jesus gets mad. He's like, dudes, what are you doing? No. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. Man, you just see the compassion of Jesus. You imagine being a parent and bringing your child, you know, and, and they're trying to keep you away. And then all of a sudden Jesus goes, come here, come here. No, 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 no. Hey, give me your child. He prays over them. He blesses them. He puts his hands on them. He's like, man, I, I pray you would thrive. And there's this beauty of this moment. Children are so important to Jesus. Well, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees. Now, back then, men didn't run. Okay, you just didn't because you had this robe thing on, right? You had to hike up your robe and it was kind of awkward, you know? And so men just didn't run. So this dude obviously is panicked, right? He's running up to Jesus. He falls on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So this guy comes running up to Jesus. is like, Jesus, there's something missing. 
And I know you've got the answer. What must I do to have eternal life? You know, in every one of us, right? In every one of us, there's this God-shaped hole. Every one of us knows that we were meant for more than just this life. That we were created for eternity. In the entire world, people are searching, how do I have eternal life? How How does that happen? And so this guy comes to Jesus. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. He's like, all right, you're coming to me and you think I'm just a good teacher. You think I'm a good moral leader, right? Or you coming to me recognizing that I'm truly God. And a big difference, right? C.S. Lewis said Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. In every one of us, we have to make a decision. Who is Jesus? Why do you call me good? Well, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not, you know, give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. So Jesus goes to the Ten Commandments and he takes the, the second half. The first half is all about a relationship with God. Second half, hey, about what you do and your relationship with others. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Right? I mean, you, you kind of see this guy, he's like a little bit arrogant, right? I'm rich, I'm young, I'm this ruler, but hey, listen, I've kept all the commands, right? I've done it all. <laughs> and Jesus is probably thinking, right? I know your heart. Yeah. Remember Jesus teaching about, hey, maybe you haven't committed adultery physically, but in your heart you've lusted out a woman. <laughs> maybe you haven't murdered somebody physically, but you've hated somebody in your heart. Jesus goes to the heart. And Jesus looked at him, and man, I don't know if you underline your Bible, but this verse 21 just gets me. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He loved him. Maybe you think today and you just think, man, there's a God up there who's mad at me. <laughs> or there's a God who just condemns me. No, 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 no. There's a God who loves you. He loves you. And Jesus looked at him and he, he loved him. He's like, come on, man, you're so close. He loved him. He says, one thing you lack, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus looked at this guy and he saw that money was his God. And money had a hold on this guy. And he's like, hey, dude, here's the thing. Go sell everything you have. Just give it to the poor. Come follow me. Come on. Now, this is the only place in Scripture where God says that. You're like, whew, good. Yeah, right there, right? But, but, I mean, this is the only time. But he looked and he saw this had a hold on him. This was his God. And you're thinking, come on, man. You can do it. Go take care of the poor. Follow Jesus. Look at all the adventure you're going to have. Look at what God's going to do. It's going to be unbelievable. But at this, the man's face fell. And he went away sad. Look at that. He went away sad. Why? Because he had great wealth. Isn't that a crazy? He had all this great wealth, but obviously the wealth wasn't satisfying him. So he runs to Jesus and falls on his knees before him. And then when Jesus tells him, right, hey, just follow me, you know, go sell it. No, I'm going to live as this, my God. I'm going to trust in this. I'm going to hold on to this. And he's sad. He's broken over this. Well, Jesus looked around. And he said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Whoa. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus again said, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of people have looked at that. They've talked about, you know, the city gate. Some of the, there was a gate called the eye of the needle. The camel had to, to duck, to humble itself. But, but what Jesus is saying is, man, this is hard. And the disciples were even more amazed. And they said to each other, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and he said, with man, this is impossible. 
but not with God. All things are possible with God. Boom. Amazing. What Jesus is saying is you can't, but God can. <laughs> you can't save yourself, <laughs> but God can. Jesus goes, that's why I'm here. So you can keep reading and Jesus again predicts. He says, hey guys, here's what's gonna happen. I told you Mark 8, I told you Mark 9. I'm gonna tell you a third time. We're getting ready to go in Jerusalem. I'll be handed over by those religious leaders. I'll be flogged and beaten. I'll be killed, but after three days, I will rise again. Don't miss it, right? Don't miss it. He's preparing them for what is to come, but they still had a hard time getting it. Look at verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And look at what Jesus says. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want? They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. What? You, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Can you go through the suffering? Can you go through the challenge? You want to sit in my right, my left? You want places of prominence? They still think it's political Messiah, right? They still think that. And they're not realizing it's the spiritual. Jesus, they said, we can. They answered. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit in my right, my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Well, when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Now imagine the 12 disciples, right? You remember last week in Mark 9, they were arguing about who the greatest and, and Peter and James and John had gone up the Mount of Transfiguration and, and they were kind of like, yeah, we, we saw this, you know? And the, everybody they get in this argument on the road and, and Jesus goes, what are you arguing about? Well, now James and John take it to a different level. They're like, Jesus, it's really us, right? I mean, we're really better than those other 10, you know, these guys. Well, the other 10 are like, what? We're doing everything you're doing. Stop, you know, what is going on? Well, Jesus sees this as a teachable moment. He goes, hey guys, bring it in, bring it in, right? I, I got some teaching to do, right? So he brings them in, huddle up, and Jesus called them together and he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, as their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servants. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. And then if you underline your Bible, underline verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's like, if anybody should be served here, right, it should be me. <laughs> Jesus is like, I am the Son of God, but I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. I'm washing feet. I'm touching lepers. I'm with people, the poor, the broken, the forgotten. That's what you and I are called to do. Then they came to Jericho. So Jericho on the way to Jerusalem, right? The city of Palms, oldest city in the world. And as Jesus and his disciples together, a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, you know? So, so you got this guy, Bar, literally means son of. We don't know his name. We just know he's the son of Timaeus. And he was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Okay, son of David is a messianic call, right? We're gonna hear that next week. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This son of David, that the Messiah would be the son of David. So this guy's going, you're the Messiah, 
You're the one we've been waiting for. You are truly God, right? Jesus, the Messiah, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him, be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Even today, there's people who go, stop talking about Jesus. <laughs> stop posting about Jesus so much, you know? <laughs> Hold on. But Jesus stopped and said, call him, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? You remember hearing that question before? James and John. Now he says it to this guy, blind Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Woo! I mean, can you imagine? This guy starts to see. He's like, yeah! And he just follows Jesus. I'm there. I mean, this guy's just got to be over the top. Now, you may remember the last time we saw Jesus heal a blind man, it kind of was two steps, right? His friends brought him to Jesus. And he, you know, Jesus did his eyes. And he's like, oh, wait, I don't really see real clearly. It looks like, you know, people are trees or walking around. And Jesus did it again. And it was like, now all of a sudden, it was his faith. It wasn't the faith of the people who brought him. It was his faith. This guy has faith right off the bat. This guy's like, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You're the healer. You're the physician. You're the one I trust in. And man, Jesus healed him immediately. And the life change that followed. Guys, there is so much here to unpack. So if you've got a worship guide today, I'd love for you to pull that out. If you're online, go to the Rolling Hills app. But I want you to see there's just some amazing truths for us as disciples today. Look at this. The danger of spiritual blindness. You know, that's why this you know, whole healing thing is at the end here, right? The whole thing without healing the blind man. Because the whole chapter is around this spiritual blindness. Look, some Pharisees, religious leaders, came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? See, all the people in Mark 10 are religious people. I mean, think about that. The Pharisees, religious leaders. This rich young ruler guy, right? You know, he's wealthy, but he's kept all the commandments. He's religious. James and John, been around Jesus three years. Religious, right? I mean, now, there's nothing wrong with religion. R religion, you right and wrong. You know, the discipline of being right there, being in church, worshiping, and those things. But, but if you miss the relationship and you miss Jesus, then you've just sold it out for religion. And, and these guys did that. And Jesus is going, hold on. You're missing it. I didn't just come for religion. I didn't just come for the law. I came that you could have a relationship with God. Look, the Pharisees became legalistic. It became all about rules and laws, and you got to do this, and at this certain time, you've got the entire Old Testament, 613 laws. I'm going to keep them all, right? And I know Jesus, you may be calling me to do something or help somebody or do something. Nope, nope, nope. I'm just going to keep the law, right? I can give a certificate of divorce. I can get out of this relationship, whatever it is. I'm just keeping the law instead of the relationship. We can't become legalistic. And, and that's the call. And that's what happened to these guys. The rich young ruler became self-righteous. <laughs> what must I do to inherit eternal life? Like I could buy my way in, right? I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it happen, right? I've kept all of these. Look at me. And, and sometimes... People do that, religious people. Man, all of a sudden, look at me. I'm, I'm better than you. I've kept all these commands. I've done all this. And, and that's never the issue with Jesus. 
We never get to a point where like, I'm better than anybody else. No, 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 right? Look at this, James and John, they became self-centered. Give us the greatest places, right? We're better than these guys. Put us in the spots of greatness. And sometimes, you know, we can look at Jesus and be like, what can you do for me? <laughs> Here's what I want. I want this, this, this. I want, you know, make all my dreams come true, right? Make all these things happen instead of remembering we're servants of Christ. God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? And you see this danger, and yet you see this blind Bartimaeus who calls out for mercy. <laughs> this one guy who calls out, and goes, hey, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. All right, man, your faith has healed you. Live in the light of the glory of God. Live in that relationship with him. That's where joy is. That's where peace is. That's where hope is. It's in Christ. It's not just in following all the rules. It's holding on. Now, the rules are important, right? And those things, those disciplines help us, spending time with the Lord, you know, being church, all those things help us. But man, don't forget that it's about Jesus. Don't forget that it's about Jesus. Helen Keller was once asked, you know, about not having, you know, sight. And she said, I just want you to know there, there's something worse than, than having two good eyes and not having two good eyes. And she said, what's worse is not being able to see with your heart. Not being able to see with your heart. Not being able to see the beauty, the things of God. Not being able to see what God's doing in the world and what's happening in other people's lives. And I just think about that. And for us, growing spiritually means we grow in gratitude and humility. <laughs> We're growing in gratitude. Thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, God, for what you've done in my life and what you're doing in other lives. And God, in humility, Father, I consider others better than myself. How can I serve? Strong. Okay, look at this. Our belief in Jesus should impact our behavior. Our belief should impact our behavior. That is so important. Look, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. So our belief in Jesus impacts our marriage. <laughs> you know, for some of you, maybe you're going through a tough spot in your marriage. There's seasons, right? There's, there's things, it's hard. It's not easy. But, but you say, listen, I made a commitment. I want to work that out. And because I'm following Jesus, I want us to have a great marriage. I want to love you. I want to care about you. See, what can happen is we get into marriage and then we start comparing, right? We, we do percentages. We like think marriage is 50-50. And then all of a sudden we're like, well, the real deal is I'm doing about 80% in this marriage. And they're about 20%, okay? Honestly, probably 90%, you know, maybe 10%, right? We, we kind of get into that mindset. Instead, marriage is 100-100. I'm going to give 100%. I want to serve you. I want to love you. I want to protect you. I want to be there for you, right? It impacts, if we believe that Christ came to serve, we begin to serve in our marriage. We begin to serve. We begin to love. We begin to make a difference around us. Look, our belief in Jesus impacts our money, right? No longer are we just living just to amass more and more stuff and more and more things like this rich young ruler guy. Now, all of a sudden, we go, okay, well, God, use me. And like I said, maybe you know, Jesus isn't calling us to go give it all away and give it to the poor. But what Jesus is saying is, I've called you to be a steward. <laughs> Everything you have comes from God. And I want you to steward it. And we go, okay, 10%, that's not a bad deal. Okay, instead of giving it all away, I'll go for 10%. And that's right, right? We tithe. We give our first 10% back to God. But what we have to understand is it's really all His anyway. Right? And so when God prompts our heart and says, hey, you help take care of this person because they're struggling. We just go, okay, let me step into that. 
Yeah, I know it's above 10%, right? I know it's outside those bounds, but, but there's a need and I can meet it. And there's somebody who needs help. And there's somebody who's struggling. And what we realize is we're simply stewards of the assets that God's entrusted to us, right? It's not just amass more and more things. It's how I distribute that. See, money's not bad or good, right? Money can be used to do a lot of bad. Money can be used to do a lot of good. And if you're wealthy, praise God, but just steward it. Say, Jesus, my belief in you impacts my behavior. Now, I can't do everything for everybody, but if there's a need and you prompt my heart, God, let me meet that need. Christ through me, right? I become the hands and feet of Christ. Changes everything. All of a sudden, we become generous. All of a sudden, we become kind. All of a sudden, our God's not money. Our God is God. <laughs> and we're living for the things of God. Our belief in Jesus impacts our ministry. <laughs> impacts our ministry. You know, we look around and we say, well, how can I minister to people? How can I serve? Instead of just coming, what's in it for me? What can I do for you? When you walk in a room, right? Do you walk in a room and go, hey, what can you guys do for me? <laughs> or do you walk in a room going, what can I do for you? You know, these last couple of weeks, we've had camps and they've been awesome. And there's so many adults who've been working with our kids and just watching them and they're painting their faces. They're having so much fun. And I'm just like, way to go. And this morning, I've just watched as people are in the parking lot, as people are ushering or greeting or people are working with kids or whatever. And you just see that call, that serve. And there's joy when you serve. There's hope, there's peace, it's fun. You, you know, the world is gonna try to tell us it's a pyramid like this, right? And there's a CEO at the top and you do everything you can to get to the top because then you got all these people serving you. And Jesus goes, let me just kind of flip that upside down. And here's the deal, right? As you grow deeper spiritually, you get to serve more people. Yeah, not only now are you serving your family, and then you start to serve, right, at church. You start to serve at your workplace. You serve at your neighborhood. You get to serve people around the world. You get to go on mission. You're serving more and more people. And you look up and you go, wow, this is pretty cool. God's entrusted me more and more to be able to serve others. Impacts. Our belief impacts our behavior. All right, look at this one. The call of a disciple is to serve. You know, the Son of Man, right? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's what we're gonna see next week, right? Jesus coming into Jerusalem, Jesus going to the cross for us. See, the example of how to live the Christian life is Jesus. He's the example. So if you wanna know, how do I live this Christian life? You just start reading through the gospel, go, oh, okay, that's the way I do it. I love, I serve, I give. You know, it says in Philippians, in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Keeps going in Philippians chapter two, who being the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, held onto, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That's Philippians two. Ooh, that's the call for us, right? Let's go. I mean, you know, this is the way we're supposed to live. It's hard. It's countercultural. It's not the way of the world, but this is the way of a disciple. See, greatness in God's kingdom is measured by service. It's measured by service. And for us, man, that is that call. What can I do for others? What can I do? How can I serve? As disciples of Jesus, our priorities become Jesus first, relationship, right? Others second, and yourself third. If we start to live that way, it changes everything. 
And I, you know, I just think it's such Mark 10, such a contrast. You got this rich guy over here whose whole faith is in, in wealth, and he walks away sad. You got this blind beggar guy over here who meets Jesus, and his life has just changed and the joy that comes. And you're like, wow, unbelievable contrast. When we set these priorities, what happens? J-O-Y, right? Joy. Joy. That comes as we live that out in our lives. See, live your life as a disciple of Jesus. That's your call. That's my call. Jesus is teaching them for us to get this. Go, said Jesus. Your, Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received a sight to follow Jesus along the road. You know, Jesus always begins with healing. If you've noticed as we've gone through these 10 chapters, all these people are coming to Jesus and they're coming for healing. They're coming for healing. And Jesus still does miracles today, you guys. Don't miss that. Miracles still happen. There's a pastor in our church, and I remember in January, he had a massive heart attack. And I remember going to Vanderbilt and walking in the room, and I mean, he's hooked to every tube possible. I remember being right there by the bed and the doctors telling us, you know, he's got about a 6% chance to make this. 6%. Nothing's impossible with God. And I tell you, he is just thriving today. He's thriving today. He just graduated from cardiac rehab. He was so excited. You know, he's just doing great and back at work. But he's power, prayer. God heals people today. He still does. He does miracles. God heals alcoholism, gambling, worries and fears. And God meets you, whatever that is, you bring it to him. Now, now you, you look in here, you're like, well, he didn't heal everybody physically. But what was he doing? Every healing was leading to the spiritual. Everything was doing was pointing to the spiritual. Even blind Bartimaeus, hey, I'm going to heal you, but I'm making it clear to everybody. It's what I'm doing in your heart. See, people come, and sometimes when they're past, you know, God does these miracles in our lives. We prayed about, man, we were stuck financially, or we prayed about a relationship years ago, and then all of a sudden God heals us, and then we kind of go, oh, thank you, that was great, and then we go back to that old life. (laughs) But not blind Bartimaeus, no. When the healing happens, we are then called to follow Jesus. When the healing happens, then we go, yeah, I want to follow you all the rest of my days. Now, at some point, God's going to call me home, right? At some point, I'm going to eternity. But for now, I want to live it out. And that's the beauty of what Jesus is doing right here in the call of the disciples. Hey, live out your faith. Live out your faith. Yo, don't just hide it, right? Don't just put it on the side. This is the call as a disciple. It's on Sundays, but it's on Mondays, and it's on Tuesdays, and it's on Wednesdays, it's on Thursdays, it's on Fridays, it's on Saturdays. It's us living the life of a disciple, and that's where the joy and the peace and the hope come, and that's where we see God come to life. You know what I love about blind Bartimaeus? Think about this. The first face that he saw, Jesus. (laughs) Jesus, can you imagine? And that's going to be us one day, right, when we're in heaven. There was a guy in 1725 who was born there in England, and this guy was mean. I mean, just angry, angry kid, angry childhood, rough. This guy was named John Newton. He starts working on slave ships. I mean, this guy's just angry. He's bitter at the whole world. He becomes one of the youngest captains of a slave ship, going from Britain to the West Indies, picking up slaves, bringing them back. Hundreds died. It was just that kind of life, mean, horrible, bitter, angry. And when he was about 25 years old, his ship capsized, and he was caught in the ocean, and he thought he was going to die. And he called out to God. A ship came by and picked him up, and on that ship, he met Jesus. On that ship, he was healed. 
On that ship, he said, I'm committing my life to Christ for the rest of my days. Whatever, God, you want me to do. I'm leaving this. I'm following you. I'm leaving it all. Leaving it all. And I'm trusting you and I'm following you. And John Newton goes on to become a pastor. <laughs> he joined up with William Wilberforce to, to help abolish slavery in the British Empire. To stop it. No more. This guy started fighting for what was right. Unbelievable. In 1747, he wrote a song. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. Have mercy on me, oh God. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind. I was blind. But now I see. I see what's important. I see what's right. And guys, for all of us, man, John Newton had his day. Disciples had their day. This is our day. And this is our call to love, to serve. You know, how, how incredible just to see this all unfold in Mark chapter 10. You know, this past week, there was this historic decision, right, by the Supreme Court right here in our nation. And I think about that, and I'm looking here at Mark 10, and this isn't political, this is biblical. This is biblical, this is bigger. And I just see how Jesus loved children, all children. I also see how Jesus loved women, all women. And I tell you, for us as a church, this is our time. This is our time to step in. Precious babies, precious lives. This is our time that we continue to care for orphans. We continue to adopt. We continue to foster orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This is our call. Step into it, church. This is also our call to take care of women. Right now, as a church, this is our call. Mentally, physically, emotionally, for us to be there, to love, to nurture. This is our time. And I'm so thankful. I mean, in times like this, this is when the church comes alive. And it's not just about us, it's about us living out the mission of Christ. Living out with open hands. You know, as we look 10 weeks in, we didn't know this, and God just said, here you go, this is what it's gonna be. Mark 10, on this day, for you and for me. <laughs> you know, I want you to think about this today. That question that Jesus asked to James and John, that question that Jesus asked to blind Bartimaeus, what if Jesus were to ask that question to you today? What if Jesus were to say, what do you want me to do for you? What would you say? Would you say like James and John, I wanna be great, I wanna have more money, I want it to be about me, I, 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 God, this is what I need. <laughs> or would you say like Brian Bartimaeus, have mercy on me, God. I, I don't even know, I just need you. <laughs> I need hope, I need joy, I need peace, I need healing in my life. I need healing in my marriage. I, I come to you. I wanna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. How do you respond to that? How do you respond to Jesus saying, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Will you love? Will you serve? Will you pray? So Father God, meet us in this moment. At this time in history, at this time in your word, you've called us, Father, for a time such as this. So God, use us to love, to serve, to make a difference in your name. God, we need you. We need you in our homes. We need you in our marriage. We need you in our families. We need you in our city. We need you in our nation. God, come. Bring hope, bring peace, bring love. And use us to be the hands and feet of Christ today.
So Father, thank you for your, all that you've done for us. Thank you for the mercy that you've poured out for us when we were dead in our sins and our transgressions. You made us alive in Christ. And the hope that we have, let us be grateful. Let us be humble. Let us be your servants today. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Wow. You've been listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, we hope you will tell a friend about us and subscribe so you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Be sure to explore our other great podcasts like the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, you can download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. See you next time and God bless.